You're listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. My name is Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. Isaac is out on assignment yet again, so this episode is going to be loose on facts and figures. Um, (laughs) My favourite kind. It is uh, a special episode if you're into arbitrary numbers, though. It's episode 25. We made it. That's uh, a quarter of a hundred. Yeah, that's pretty good because we we use the metric system, so that's pretty good. All of our American listeners, get fucked. This is an episode (laughs) (laughs) 33.6. In Fahrenheit, we're at minus 20. (laughs) Hey, and we're like halfway through a year of podcasts. No, that's next week. That's 26, right? Well, almost halfway. This episode is the episode 25 milestone. You're already (laughs) celebrating the episode 26 milestone, Evie, for God's sake. Man, I just want to, I really just want a party of any kind. (laughs) Yeah, we all all miss arbitrarily partying for no good reason. (laughs) Yeah, like I'm constantly in the DMs at the moment. I'm like, when we do this, we should just have a party for it just for the sake of it because that's all I can think about at the moment. Oh, God, I'm so lonely. (laughs) When I can get back to Woolworths and buy kitty litter without getting an anxiety attack, oh, we should have a bloody party. We We should should get on a tram and just lick everything. (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking forward to going back to my days as a yeah a, a handrail liquor on Melbourne's public transport. I miss it. It's part of my identity. When we started this podcast, we were doing it in person. And I think we did like, was it seven episodes in person? Yeah, we got seven episodes in. Yeah. <laughs> Single digit, certainly. I can't remember what it was like to sit in someone's house and record face to face. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Yeah, I forget I forget your faces. Anyway, we're being very <laughs> self-indulgent, so... <laughs> There is a whole bunch more environment news, unfortunately. I mean, at this stage, I really wish we could have some like big good news, but at the moment it seems like lots of little victories here and there, and then overall like things are kind of looking like they might be reaching something good, and then Federal Labor Party just walks up and just, oh, what about this? And just shits and vomits over everyone's goodwill and just embarrasses themselves. I cannot fucking fathom what the ALP is for anymore. I, just... I think the last time I got good big environment news, it was when they banned CFCs to stop the hole in the ozone layer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think my husband got like the really the best sort of deal out of this is where he just emails like a, a, the local MP just to say you're a useless coward party every time they do something like this. And I, it's just, it's such a simple pleasure. Because it's true. And if they're not getting told multiple times a day that they are useless cowards, then <laughs> someone's not doing their job. So what did they do? I mean, look, what happened? basically it's more of the same, which is Labor tries to position themselves as just the coalition light. So the coalition is just entirely like, fuck the environment, Colin Gas are the goddamn best. Whereas Labor is like, we like the environment, but Colin Gas are the best. Um, <laughs> and so it's like, if you care about the environment really in any way, you would not be voting for either of them. You'd probably be voting for the Greens or some other responsible party on the environment. Um, yeah, if at you, least the Greens. Yeah, if you don't like or don't care about the environment, but you still care a bit about like uh, human welfare or workers or something, or you hate the coalition for some other reason, you don't like Scott Morrison's face or something, <laughs> then that's when Labor is hoping you'll vote for them. If if you hate the coalition and for some reason you hate the Greens, like, uh, and there are a lot of people in that position where they think the Greens are tree-hugging hippies, but also the coalition are evil, they go, okay, let's go coalition light. So let's talk about the exact thing that happened, which is basically 
Anthony Albanese, who's the leader of the Labor Party, he wrote a letter calling on Scott Morrison to support a new bipartisan energy policy that, if even if Labor and the coalition held competing emissions targets, would incorporate scalable emission levers. It's basically capitulating on everything that they promised in the last election and saying, well, we'll come to the table on your terms, which is it's just it's a coward move. They've backflipped on everything they ever promised. And I also don't understand how this is anything new. Like Labor has constantly been trying to compromise with the coalition uh like how is this new news yeah i don't think they've backflipped on everything that they've promised because they haven't been promising climate action yeah they've been promising like at least some sort of gesture towards caring about climate action and but in terms of like you know new fossil fuel exploration they're like hell yeah let's like start some new coal mines let's start some (laughs) new gas because you know even though the climate crisis is real and Mm. we do acknowledge that unlike the liberal party we still think that fossil fuels are the way of the future yeah. for now. Like, yeah. to be specific, Which is like, they're not. <laughs> Labor is pro Adani coal mine. Uh, Victorian Labor is opening up gas exploration again. Um, yep. New coal mines in Tasmania. Yeah. Labor is just extremely pro fossil fuels. They just pretend to be less pro fossil fuels. Oh, and this was announced the same day as the New South Wales government report saying that growing coal demand will ignore the Paris targets. Uh, Crikey yeah. News reported on that. So, yeah, just a great day. Yeah, I honestly, at this point, like, I, I genuinely don't know what the Labor Party is for. I like, like, Liberal Party are inherently, we discussed this last week, every atom in their body is itself evil as well as the ghost that inhabits the flesh. We've covered that. But I, don't know. I can at least respect the fact that they are blatant with how how much of a shithead they all are and how much they enjoy it. Whereas the Labor Party, they they just they do this thing where they're like, oh boy, we, yeah, no, we get it, and they don't even have the conviction to go like, nah, actually, fuck it, we don't care about the environment, we care about jobs, 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 jobs in the coal sector, jobs in the gas industry, fuck yeah, jobs. They they can't even do that, so they're fucking cowards as well. And the main thing that, that came out of this, um, well, the main two things that came out of um, Anthony Albanese's simpering letter was that he wants to, what was supposed to be different about this letter was that he wants to be, uh, he wants to work flexibly with the Morrison government. So everything's on the table. We can discuss everything, which is code language for we will capitulate to literally anything you want, any of the investment schemes, any of the initiatives, any department you want to cut, we will negotiate it with you. And more than likely, because we don't have a spine, just let you gut it in the name of this, like reaching across the aisle sort of thing. Um, and the thing that stood out to me, which I, I think is definitely worth covering is that he made specific mention of wanting to um, work really closely with a carbon capture and storage Mm. scheme, which we've covered a lot of times does not work. Yeah. Yeah. I want to briefly go into this. And this was as an example of basically in his, in his speech, Anthony Albanese said, we're happy to work with Anything. We will work with a a national energy guarantee, a clean energy target, emissions intensity scheme. You name it, we'll do. We'll 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 discuss whatever. And Scott Morrison presumably was like, "We know you've provided zero (laughs) resistance. How is this? (laughs) Why do I care?" Um, Uh But yeah, they uh said, "Oh, we're willing to support carbon capture and storage," Um, which they should not be. Any environmentally responsible government that gives the slightest shit about climate change would go, wow, carbon capture and storage is a massive waste of time and resources and basically Money. is just doing the bidding of the of the fossil fuel industry. Um, 
What, what is s- carbon capture and storage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So carbon capture and storage is basically saying we've got a, a gas power plant or some kind of fossil fuel industry putting tons of carbon into the atmosphere. What if we still ran that fossil fuel infrastructure, but we captured that carbon before it got into the atmosphere and we stored it somehow? We capture it and we store it. Um, and in in a lot of cases, this is you inject it back underground uh, into a into a an old gas well or or something like that, some kind of underground pocket that can store pressurized gas, which is it is uh, technologically feasible. It can be done, but it requires a lot of energy, a lot of money. And is not even, like, foolproof. And so the amount of fucking about you have to go to to inject that carbon back underground is just not worth your time considering renewable energy doesn't make the carbon to begin with and is already <laughs> cheaper than than uh, fossil fuel energy, even if you're not capturing the carbon. So it's a um, solution for a problem that doesn't actually have to exist. They're trying to solve the problem of how do we keep digging up fossil fuels yeah. while also pretending we're doing something about climate change. So um, exactly. carbon capture and storage is not and has never been done successfully at scale anywhere in the world. Um, you keep oh. hearing people <laughs> say, oh, this is a thing we can invest in. Oh, we're going to solve it with carbon capture and storage. Like, y- we can do it. It is being done at very, very small scales for a lot of money. We can do it at basically a testing level, and even then it basically most of the time doesn't work. <laughs> like a Melbourne microbrewery. Like a microbrewery, except microbreweries work the same as a giant brewery, and we can make as much beer as we want at scale. <laughs> like, you know what this sounds like? It sounds like when libertarians talk about how the answer to having um, a, a society with no, like, real laws is having seasteads. And, yeah. like, the one time that they've actually managed to put it, like, even slightly into reality, everything just descended into chaos, but thereby proving it doesn't work. It's exactly like that. So I just imagine, like, you know, oh, yeah, we'll solve everything with seasets. Yeah, we'll solve, like, the, the problem of carbon fuel with, like, carbon capture and storage yeah. and just imagine everything descending into chaos the moment they try it. It's like asteroid mining. Yeah, we could do it, but it's fucking not solving any problems. <laughs> Is a seastead just like rapture from Bioshock? Like you just sort of set up your own imaginary nation offshore and be like maritime yeah. law, nothing, nothing matters. Yeah, pretty much. It's exactly that. <laughs> um, so it- it- is that common enough that it fucking has a? T- oh god, libertarians Libertarian. love it. It's oh, so yeah, funny. Yeah. It's exactly like how they've got like places in New Zealand that they've set aside to make bunkers and stuff like that. Just seems like a really cool idea, but when in, in reality, when they go into their bunkers, like they don't <laughs> they don't realize they need all these guys to like make their little like self-insulated society work. So it's like yeah. always think of the sci-fi concept, but never really think it out through to reality. Mm. And they're yeah. like, uh oh. <laughs> yeah, it turns out that the issues involved with with that kind of thing just are more difficult than solving the actual issue that thing was trying to solve in a different way. So it's it's right to say that in terms of like carbon capture and storage as a plan going forward, mm. as the main sort of thing that's going to save everything, that technology to do that simply doesn't exist. Yeah. So that's the other thing is that carbon capture and storage in the way that is even uh, theoretically feasible is is when you, you plug your cu- carbon capture and storage infrastructure onto a... Uh, a fossil fuel plant of some sort, because those things are releasing a lot of carbon, okay? the Most of the gases that are coming out of it, there's a big proportion of carbon. So you can capture that uh, 
you know, feasibly. Um, you're not capturing just, it all, by the way. I'm just imagining a regular, like, coal plant with a, you know, the big smokestacks at the top, but they've just, like, put, like, some snorkels <laughs> so that they're pointed down. And you're like, done. Fixed. <laughs> I actually I actually don't know exactly what it looks like. It, 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 it's, it just looks like another friggin' big pipey refinery business. It's capturing and it's pressurizing that carbon. But it's not capturing at all. And because it's using power, it means that your coal power station is now even less efficient and they're already extremely mm. inefficient. So what some people think that we're going to do is atmospheric carbon capture, where we're pulling carbon out of the atmosphere that's already out there. That is not happening. That is just the level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, even though it has a significant effect on the climate, is uh, about 400 parts per million. That means, what, 0.003% of the atmosphere? I might have too many zeros in there. The point is, you've got to suck in a lot of gas <laughs> to get any decent amount of carbon. You have to suck in a million litres of gas to get 400 litres of carbon, okay? Of carbon dioxide. Um, and so that requires vast amounts of energy and is just impractical at any real level. What if we store that energy afterwards, though? Store what energy? You're not sucking in energy. You're sucking in gas. No, the the energy that takes to suck it in, that's going to create... Yeah, I can see this one. You're using it. <laughs> what if we use natural gas, Lang? I'm just imagining a child's understanding of this. Like, it's like a vacuum cleaner that they're just sucking all the carbon out of the atmosphere. Like, you know, it's like George Christensen's understanding of, like, windmills. So it's like yeah. if there's a big windmill in the sky, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, it must be... Why don't we build a windmill up in the atmosphere? <laughs> all the carbon. Right. And so even if we could do that uh, at, a, at a reasonable rate, you'd have to power that with something. Now, presumably, you'd power that with renewable. Renewables. Um, so why not just use the renewables to make the power? <laughs> now, Australia does have a carbon capture and storage trial plant called the Gorgon Project. And I love it when they name these projects after giant evil mythological beasties that murder just people. Um, and this is this is run by Chevron uh, at their their Gorgon. The Gorgons weren't giant; they were human sized. Look at. We're not going to get into mythology because there are a few different interpretations of that. Point being, fell monsters. Just a Medusa Lang. It's not just a Medusa McLean. Okay, Medusa was one Gorgon. Don't I'm stepping in. Me. We're not doing this. Move on. Sorry, 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 sorry. sorry. <laughs> I care about facts on this podcast. The Gorgons. There's no Medusas plural. Oh, Friggin' Final Fantasy ass. Um, <laughs> Oh, shit, sprung. Okay. This is what happens when Isaac's not here. <laughs> <We've> got- <laughs> <laughs> so, the Gorgon plant in Western Australia is a, a methane, a fossil methane plant uh, run by Chevron. And Chevron was like, okay, guys, we'll make you fossil methane. And because we're environmentally friendly, we'll carbon capture and store that shit. Um, and they didn't. They did not. The agreement was that they would store in- and inject underground back into the gas well, at least 80% of their carbon dioxide uh, emissions over a five-year period, starting in 2016. And they just didn't. Uh, For the first three years, they sequestered (laughs) zero emissions. Um, 
Weird. And yeah, and and now obviously they're not going to be able to meet the eighty percent of emissions they said they would because <laughs> they've only got two years left. And- yeah, they'd have to they'd have to store like one hundred and seventy five percent of all their emissions over the yeah. next two years. <laughs> you fucking. <it. laughs> they're just like, oh shit, we got to burn all our coal quick because we got to make a lot of emissions because we got to capture a lot more. And so now they're meant to have to pay for offsets to those emissions, like a hundred million dollars worth of offsets. Now whether they do i don't know chevron is notoriously good at not paying for the things that they should when they destroy the environment basically this whole thing is like gonna cost a huge amount of money chevron has fucked it but they've spent 2.5 billion dollars on this carbon capture and storage project that has done nothing there was a 60 million dollar federal grant to that as well um basically so chevron could pull up a lot of gas, not store any carbon, destroy the environment, and then maybe later pay a bit of a fine. Now, I don't know the exact figure for how much the bushfires destroyed the Australian economy and environment, but I'm pretty sure it was more than $100 million. So I'd say <laughs> Chevron are getting a pretty good deal out of that. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the example of carbon capture and storage that we've done. Uh, it didn't work. Cost a lot of money, uh, destroyed huge. If they hadn't even bothered trying, we could have saved a ton of money and destroyed less of the environment. And this is the kind of thing that Labor and the coalition are like, great, let's try and do more of that. Let's rely on that as most of our emissions pro- planning. Yeah, this is this is the main thing that I want to hit on about uh, Albanese's letter is that he is trying to reach across the aisle, quote unquote, mm. to a party that have demonstrably never wanted to work towards making Australia carbon neutral, work towards mm. renewable energy. So it's it's ridiculous. It's it's like you would not find peace with someone who wants to fight you. So why would you go, hey look, let's talk about the ramifications of this fight we're gonna have. Like yeah. They want they want to burn our fossil fuels. They want to make the Minerals Council wealthy. They want their fossil fuel industry friends to be wealthy. You cannot negotiate with that. That's their baseline. And we know it's their fucking baseline because for the last 10 years, they've been in power and that's all they've done. They've gotten rid of a leader. They sacked Malcolm Turnbull as our prime minister because he was trying to get the smallest concession to renewable energy through the parliament. They just went, nah, fuck off, mate. So what hope does fucking Albo have about this whole idea of like, look, I'm going to work with the coalition. Now, despite the fact that they will not in any way work with me, I'm still very happy to look like a big dork and put my hand up and go, would you be willing to try this thing? It's like, no. I think I've, I think I've figured it out. I think I figured out who the Labour Party is for. And I think the Labour Party is for themselves. Like the people that they're targeting as their main audience (laughs) is also the people who compose the Labour Party. And those people are people who don't agree with the way that the Liberal Party runs the country, but who still fundamentally have total trust in the system. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, That's the thing. They're just like, look, these particular people in charge, they're not doing a good job. But the system itself, intact, fine. And that trust in the system is what, like, you, you see Albo, who looks at Scott Morrison, who's just like, ha, 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 I'm destroying the world. And he's like, Scott Morrison, mm-hmm. sir, why don't we try a, a, a compromise approach that's the best of both worlds? Hmm? <laughs> Just destroy half the world. Yeah. <laughs> I see a lot of similarities in between like the Australian Labor Party and the Democrats in the US, which I think is like very visibly obvious. Oh, yeah. Like they're, oh, yeah. they're, they're given to the smallest demands and are constantly like, you know, on the losing side of like 
each culture war battle that the LMP decides to fire off. But the the worst part I think about, you know, following the Labour Party in Australia, which makes it feel so much worse, is knowing what their origins were, like as a people's party, as mm. a union party, mm. and just seeing that, you know, just the complete legacy destroyed by, you know, careerists and anyone who fundamentally, as you said, like, you know, they believe that they, they're able to do it in a more democratic way, exactly the same policies. It's just the veneer of civility. Yeah. yeah, they're convinced the other side is playing by the rules. Yeah. Um, but also, yes, that's the- yeah, but also Labor is convinced that the rules are the most important thing rather than what you're actually trying to do. If the coalition yeah. played by the rules and did all their dumb shit, Labor would be fine with it because they'd be like, oh, we're playing a game, yay. Uh, whereas neither of them actually give a shit that both of their policies are trying to destroy the world yeah. for everybody who lives yeah. in it. No, Liberal, Liberal Party do not in any way conform to the rules and they're always willing to lie, to cheat, to fundamentally undermine people and yet every single time Labor's like, oh, you know what we should do? We should work towards it. That's great. Um, And we finally got proof of it too. It's uh, recently come out that the National Audit Office has concluded that the Morrison government has abjectly failed in its duty to protect the environment, which- is one of those reports that is a sort of weird one where, like, scientists have finally proven that gravity causes things to fall to Earth. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, yep, cool, yeah. cool, cool. <laughs> but it's still nice to see it written down, even if it's not going to change anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the, the quote from the, the report, I don't think, I think abjectly was an editorial there. The, <laughs> the National Audit Office isn't releasing a statement being like, disgusting Scott Morrison and his pathetic attempts yeah, to- Yeah, it's because they're cowards. Yeah. The <laughs> 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 um, The Federal Environment Department has been ineffective in managing risks to the environment, that its management of assessments and approvals is not effective, and that it is not managing conflicts of interest in the work it undertakes. That's from the National Mm. Audit Office's report into the Morrison government there. It's great to hear, great to hear. (laughs) Really blindsided by that news. And the sheer numbers. It's like 79% of the approvals that they gave contained conditions that were not compliant with procedures or had clerical or administrative errors. Eighty um, percent. Yeah, yeah. That's of the, the Department of Agriculture, Water, and Environment. And nothing's going to happen like, with that anyway. Like eighty percent of environment approvals were non-compliant errors. Cool. Thanks for telling us that. Do you think anything's <laughs> going to happen? <laughs> and I'm I'm betting these errors were not on the side of the environment. They didn't accidentally protect too much environment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've got all this wetland left over. Damn, we need to cut down those. Oh, trees. the paperwork Shit. is hard. Oh, that's interesting. So why is it? It's only hard, like McLean says, it's only hard if yeah. you're trying to protect the minimum amount of environment. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, that's true. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's again, it is it is kind of nice to have it written down that they're so blatant with the whole, like, is not managing conflict of interests. Like, that is a, a such a beautiful understatement. We did an episode, mm. you can check out, uh, It Is Timeless, about the horror story that is Angus Taylor and his conflict <laughs> of interest shit there. But it's just a good example of, like, in most things, you will have some guy's brother, some guy's best friend, the old company he had, to the point where we have covered on the pod before. But with these, like, the COVID Recovery Commission being just stacked with people from the fossil fuel industry, that the commission just, like, in its rules, it's like, oh, you don't actually have to declare any conflict of interest, though. And then this report's like, you're not managing conflict of interest well. It's like, you're not managing them at all. It's you just, just don't give a shit. It's not even that. It's it's gone way past the the oh no whoops. It's a conflict of interest. It's blatant <laughs> corruption. It's on yeah, purpose. It's, just- <laughs> it's like if I friggin' mug someone and steal their wallet, I'm not 
inadequately managing my awareness of the law. <laughs> I know the law. I stole that wallet on purpose. My inf- interest uh, is clear. The National Audit Office has reported that Tom <laughs> Lang has failed in his duty to protect that shady alleyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Abjectly failed, I'll tell you what. They're, they're pretty scathing in their, in their criticism of Tom Lang. <laughs> if you're a KGB spy stealing documents from the CIA, you're not inadequately protecting America's interests. They're not your interests. <laughs> that is, yeah, that's the big thing is that I mean, this is, I want to know when it's going to change for journalists and for government departments, but this is something you've hit on a bunch of times, McLean, but I don't think a lot of people have yet really reckoned with the ramifications of an existential threat of mm. the magnitude of climate change. And so at a certain oh, point, no way. like the National Audit Office is going to have to start using language like we found the Liberal Party to be corrupt. And to be destroying our potential, our our futures and the future for our children. Journalists are going to have to start reporting it instead of being like, oh, this conflict of interest raises some eyebrows in the Canberra press gallery. It's like, no. Look at America, where Trump is so much more blatant than even what we have in Australia. And the newspapers there, some of them uh, are doing a lot of, wow, Trump's really doing this stuff. But they're not saying corrupt criminal this and and that like the new york times is still saying oh trump's made some racially charged comments again (laughs) i wonder if they could be referring to the thing they're very obviously referring to oh i hope he doesn't realize that he's just encouraged shooting during a race war like he's trying to push a civil war kind of thing america doesn't even have like the same kind of defamation rules that we do which makes everyone tiptoe around the truth so easily but one thing it's funny that you bring up trump because i was just thinking like if this happened in america you can just imagine trump's twitter response like just being really offended it's like we have a very robust healthy environment very good and like (laughs) and, and like it just makes me a little bit sad that Scott Morrison isn't quite that petulant. Yeah, instead we'll get something we'll get something <laughs> like Environment Keeper. Yes. <laughs> or like oh, Tony God. Abbott's like Green Army. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is like we, we we you know, we haven't had some petulant tweet from Scott Morrison being like, "Oh, the the, the National Audit Office says that I failed in my duty to protect the environment. They don't know what they're talking about. I'm Shame. actually good at protecting the environment." He just doesn't mention it Mm. and nobody else mentions it you get one article in the guardian about it and everyone's like oh yeah man the government's pretty bad in the environment oh well (laughs) yeah everyone just moves on yeah Yeah. culture of silence it's this it's this thing where like i i think it is important to be a bit emotive about the sort of absolutely you know specter of climate change because the 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 press and the politicians and stuff are just like oh yes we must do something about it where it's like it's already killing people. Like the bushfires th- earlier this year were climate change. Mm. And, and it was, you know, a terrifying disaster. There's so many more things that are going to happen. But whenever yeah. people sort of try and engage with it in the sort of media, it, it's always just like this really abstract thing. And you've even got like Greta Thunberg, who's like going around being like, you know, fucking guys, holy shit. And, and she'll get up in front of like everyone in the UN and they'll listen to a whole speech talking about how, you know, her whole generation is just going to be obliterated by climate change. And the only thing they take away from it is like, oh, wow, what a well-spoken child. Like there's no connection with it. Yes. Gosh, I sure hope someone does something about climate change. Unfortunately, <laughs> we in the UN don't have any. <laughs> ah, we've oh, really got to get the word out there. When it comes to Greta, though, like uh, Tom, you and I have had this conversation before where you, like it's one of those weird things where as a whole, adults don't really respect or listen to children in a way that 
genuinely matters. Like this applies to a whole like bunch of things that I won't talk about right now, but it's the only way that people can approach Greta is to either like, you know, make her this weird sort of symbol, which she doesn't want to be, or to say, oh, shut up, little girl. Like, yeah, I mean, people will just always look for an excuse not to have to think about it. Yeah, so if not you're, engaging if you're, with uh, the point. If you're a Greta of the world, then it's like, you know, ah, well, you know, she's a kid though. And it like might be like, oh, what a marvellous kid, you know, real leader of the future sort of thing. Mm. But even when it's an adult, you see like just across the board, people just immediately dismissing people as soon as they sort of get into that mode because they're just like, ah, oh, you crazy greenies. Why don't you go hug a tree? Yeah. It's like, oh, I want to hug my son, yeah. you know, <laughs> when he's like an adult and not dead from yeah. It's, it's so weird how people get really mad about like the emotional aspect of, you know, fearing, you know, for their futures, for their children, just the end of the world in general. Like, I, I, I'm not going to lie. Like, I think all of us on this podcast, yeah, all of us yeah. on this podcast, and I would say like, you know, a good proportion of our listeners would probably just, you know, at some point in their week, probably like lying in bed thinking, I wonder what the next 10 years are going to hold or like, you know, what they're going to look like. Especially if nothing yeah. ever happens on climate change, like, you know, in well, stopping climate change. Well, I'll tell you what, the economy's going to take a hit. <laughs> <laughs> or you find yourself at some level avoiding thinking about it, repressing yeah, it to absolutely. a degree. Where you, you consciously understand the problem, but you, you have a little thing in your head that's like, let's not think about that right now. Because it's going to be a big fucking downer to me and to those around me. Like any kind of trauma. What was the organization that said, oh, by the end of this century, climate change could cause GDP to drop by 25%? Oh, and I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it could cause the global population to drop by 25%. That's going to impact your GDP, sure. For real, though, like I'm at a point now where I'm like, if the Australian Financial Review running a story like that is going to start changing some minds, and if the if the notion that BlackRock is going to start divesting from fossil fuels is going to start mm. changing some minds, fuck it. All right. Yeah, yeah, good. go for let's, it. But let's, it's oh, wild. Fuck it. That's how we're measuring things. Just the, Yeah, the fact that there are some people out there so suffused with economic brainworms that they're just yeah. like, yes, but what about number go up? And it's so like, this, my dude, we're on fire. I don't even think it's number go up. I think it's just like it's this, it's the Labor Party full trust in the system sort yeah. of thing where yeah. no matter, literally no matter what happens, yeah. you can look outside and be like, that particular thing, bushfires, coronavirus, whatever, right, you know, uh, the, the, the racial injustice, any of mm. that stuff, you can be like, that particular thing, obviously bad, but generally everything's fine. Mm. Yeah. And that, but generally everything's fine response is just baked into literally every issue where it's like, obviously mm. there's details of the problem that we need to fix and that particular thing's bad, but fundamentally yeah, it's okay. And that's what makes people vote for the Labor Party, I think. It's the same people who are like, uh, yeah, you can solve this problem if you go vote. It's little tweaks. Yeah. Speaking of little tweaks, they <laughs> slashed yeah. the CSIRO Energy <laughs> Research Division. Oh, like, Which is shameless. This is the party that Albo was like, hey, let's come to a compromise. What do you reckon? Chat it out. Fuck you, Anthony Albanese. Jesus Christ. <laughs> He's like, can we meet in the middle on climate change? And they're like, everyone who's researching renewables at the CSIRO is fired. How do you like that for a compromise, Albo, you little shit? What do you want? Just... He's like, oh, it's a good start. Uh, how about we have another discussion? <laughs> All solar panels are banned. Oh, okay. This is, well, this is the exact same stuff Angus Taylor 
a little while ago was like, oh, we don't need a, we don't need an emissions target. We don't need to, to subsidize the industry. We're going to be technology based. We're going to tackle this with science and technology. Meanwhile, let's also cut all of the jobs that might be working on that. Also, uni students get STEM jobs, jobs in science and technology. We're going to, we're going to make arts degrees more expensive. So you get jobs in science. Also, we just cut all the jobs in science. Yeah, but what they're doing, like, what they're doing, like, is they're is they're opening a market vacuum for a sweet, cool, trendy company like Tesla to come in and yeah. like shoot, fling rockets into the stratosphere with cars attached or some shit. I don't know, but the free market, I reckon, will take care of it because, as you just mentioned, twenty five percent of GDP is at stake if we don't do something about climate change. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> that's um, our future. <laughs> also, also protect Aussies. You know, let's let's get some money into firefighters. Let's protect those those Aussies let's let's make sure we're helping out rural communities let's cut the national head of emergency broadcasting at the ABC uh, <laughs> that's this is this is the wildest one for me cutting the national head of emergency broadcasting uh, just to give some context it's part of the 250 jobs that were cut this week from the ABC which we'll talk about a bit later and um, 60% of people from affected regions in the bushfire zones from this summer, uh, they were surveyed by the ABC and said that the broadcaster provided information that helped ensure their safety. It helped them get out alive. Hmm. And half of them hmm. had the ABC as their main source of information during the bushfire crisis. We haven't been talking too much about the climate specifically. We've been talking about all the fuck shit the government's been doing to the climate. But in terms of, of the climate itself, um, it's bad. It's getting worse. And everyone who's keeping eyes on it is scared as shit. Uh, this week, parts of the Arctic Circle hit for first time 38 degrees Celsius. Okay, that is that is an all-time record since we've been recording temperatures anywhere in the Arctic Circle. That was somewhere in Siberia, hit 38 degrees Celsius. The average maximum temperature this time of year should be about 20 degrees okay that broke the record which was set in 1915 god 38 degrees that's a hot day in melbourne that's a hot day anywhere yeah that's that's like uh, sweltering yeah Yeah. and it's not even shorts and t-shirts whether that's like (laughs) don't go outside (laughs) and the arctic like parts of the arctic do get pretty warm in summer like warmer than you might think but not 38 degrees warm that's mad. And so the Arctic actually, and the Antarctic for that matter, they're warming much faster than the rest of the world. The rest of the world, thanks to climate change, is somewhere over one degree warmer than it should be. Um, the Arctic uh, is more like four degrees warmer. And the further north you go, the more pronounced that difference is because it's meant to be very, very cold, but it's no longer that cold. And this might not seem like a big deal because we don't live in the Arctic and, oh, whatever, you might have a few sea level rises or, or whatever. Um, but the, the, the way the Earth's weather systems work is that we've got this huge complicated thing of tides and, and winds and, you know, jet streams and currents. And if suddenly you change a bunch of that. You don't have a bunch of ice where you should have ice. You have currents flowing through areas they shouldn't be flowing. That can actually change the weather systems of entire continents. And when this happens, you get huge droughts. Um, and this has led to things in the past, like, you know, giant famines leading to wars, leading to, you know, revolutions, leading to millions of people dying in Europe 
you know, hundreds of years ago because the jet stream has changed for a little while. Um, we're seeing right now more cyclones and things in America because of atmospheric streams changing because of stuff happening in the Arctic. So the whole world is connected. This is, this is a really, uh, pressing example of, of something that's happening right now. We weren't expecting to see this stuff for decades. Can't wait for someone to crunch the numbers and tell me how that's going to affect GDP for some <laughs> fucking reason. Just like, well, actually, it might increase in the short term because of the the oil ships that can now pass through. This is what, I've, have you guys funny. heard that for the last? I haven't heard that yeah, for yes. a little while. But the argument for a while was actually climate change might be good, global warming might be good because it'll break up the ice flow and ships can transport goods quicker. Ships like, can shut- now move through <laughs> passages in the, shut in, the fuck up. Can now move through northern passages oh. all year round. I don't need could not. I don't need a new computer monitor a week yeah. earlier than I was going to get it. Can you fucking not? Oh, they're not yeah, moving Jesus. computer monitors. They're just accessing oil reserves. Oh, oh good, good, good. Okay. <laughs> All right, moving on then. All right, so this week there were a bunch of job cuts at the ABC. This comes on the tail of basically years and years of the government refusing to ever increase or provide funding to the ABC uh, in an attempt to destroy it. They're ideologically opposed to it, they hate it, and Mm -hmm. they won't stop until it is dead. And they're being very successful and effective in that endeavour, so good on the Liberal Party for that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Getting it done. Yeah, I think people don't really realise what the ABC does. I mean, I, I definitely didn't until I started working there not long ago, but there is the, you know, there's the Triple J and then there's your RN and your podcasts and stuff, and that's pretty good. And you got ABC Kids and no, nah, it's pretty cool. But as when you get out of the cities, the ABC has such important infrastructure for rural communities. Their radio stations are vitally important. Their emergency broadcast system was fucking amazing and hopefully still will be. But they are, they're not just entertainment to, you know, sit around the wireless and listen to tunes. Like, they are a fundamental part of what makes rural living possible in this day and age. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is, this is the, like, this is just another round of cuts over several years of just whittling it down, I should point out. Yeah. But um, it is like, it also comes after many, many months of speculation after Ida Buttrose became the head of the ABC. Mm. One of my favorite sort of interactions on Twitter, which I deeply love for like the really deranged sort of, uh, t- <laughs> like, sort of interactions between celebrities and politicians and stuff that you can see, um, is that when the announcement got made that um, 250 staff were about to be cut um some guy was like you should start with ida buttrose and winnie harmer replied to him saying it's nothing to do with ida it's nothing at all get a grip <laughs> and i was just like where else could you possibly see wendy harmer telling some random to get a grip because ida buttrose is responsible for the cuts of the abc <laughs> i love twitter so much <laughs> it's a little bit to do with her right? of she's course the, it is she's the boss <laughs> and, uh, she, yeah. uh, she takes back a pretty hefty salary and she decided to fire some people instead of taking a pay. It, She's being like directly it's- responsible. Like letters of her being re- from her being released in like Freedom of Information uh, talking about like the kind of ideological bent that she's willing to take for the ABC. So, yeah, she does have something to do with it. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, so- it has been noticeable, that ideology. The ABC, you know, people used to be, oh, the ABC is such a bloody lefty you know, whatever, because they had a, a pretty objective kind of eye on the truth compared to most uh, media sources. But we've really been seeing that shift. Yeah, I mean, this is a classic, like, uh, you know, 
sort of any sort of let's say fascist government trying to undercut free press is is to sort of like strip that kind of funding from uh, the organizations that would criticize them mm. until they're really ineffective and then be like, well, see, they're really ineffective. What mm. are they like? What do they even need budget for? They're not doing anything. And it's like, well, they're ineffective because you strip them of the budget. I saw a lot of people responding to the, to the job losses with like, oh, good though. And then citing examples of like times that the ABC has been shit. And it's like, all that is a reason to restore their funding, mm. not to strip it. Yeah. Things don't, things don't get better when you strip the funding of places like, they need funding to do yeah. better. That's- <laughs> My car's been running pretty badly recently, so I'm not going to please spend money on a mechanic for this piece of shit car. <laughs> I'm going to take the radiator out. Yeah. <laughs> Cut more parts. The radiator's been rattling heaps. I'm going to get rid of it. It's deliberately raising them so that, like, you know, when, pe- when people complain, they can say, well, you justified why we sh- that shouldn't even be there. We'll get rid of that too. Like, I think of, like, I always think about it when people complain about, like, the arts and uh, comedy offerings that the ABC has, which, to be fair, like, you know, there's some duds and there's some really good ones. <laughs> Absolutely. But, but that, yeah. like, but that being said... Evie <laughs> works for the National Audit Office. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, this comes after, like, you know, so many rounds of cutting money, um, not having the funds even available to source new talent. Um, they have to make do with a worse than a shoestring budget. Like, sometimes I look at some shows on the ABC and I just wonder, how have you managed that with so little money? Yeah. Here's a, I think, an important point is they... A lot of the ABC operates on a shoestring budget that gets even more shoeier and stringier with every passing month. <laughs> yep. The, sure, yeah. the executives of the ABC still do take multi-million dollar salaries. Last year, they took $3.5 million in salaries plus about $2.5 million in golden handshakes and payouts and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's to the executive of the ABC. So, it's it's sort of like... Oh, you know, it's not the AB, it's not the government's fault. You know, it's the ABC executive, or it's not the executive fault. It's the government's fault. Like, it's just both. Yeah. Like, both groups are directly responsible. The government's directly responsible for cutting the budget, and the executive is directly responsible for deciding to react to the budget cut just by firing low-level staff instead of taking any kind of responsibility themselves. Hmm. Yeah, I reckon ABC could work really well as a like a workers' collective or something. So what, <laughs> what I'm saying is, co- communize the ABC. Communize the ABC, <laughs> <laughs> but radically. Um, yeah. So I mean, and the, the galling thing as well was that f- fucking Scott Morrison, ever the marketing man, has been out and about with his very punchable wry grin, saying there aren't no cuts. Ah, ah, ah! The ABC's funding is increasing every year with that little this chuckle is- that he does. It's the most definitive I've ever seen Scott Morrison because one of the other like <laughs> yeah. like one of the other liberals went off narrative for a bit because I mean Tony Abbott got elected off of this like big promise there's that classic photo of him in front of the billboard under my government no cuts to the ABC uh. and then there's been cuts to the ABC every fucking year since <laughs> but because they make those cuts through just like not increasing the budget in line with inflation and like doing all co- like there's this indexation freezes and stuff that I barely understand because I'm I'm not a, a financy person but that the, it allows them to say like oh it's not a cut though we just did a thing that made them have less money that they can spend on doing stuff you know that's not a cut though it's, it's kind of like less money to dumb yeah. it down it's kind of like I guess their rent goes up but their budget doesn't go up so now they have less yeah. money. 
Essentially. You see, like, uh, uh, one, like, Liberal MP being asked... I can't remember if it was a Liberal MP. This is why we need Isaac. But uh, (laughs) we... (laughs) He he was asked, like, you know, what about the cuts to the ABC? And Scott Morrison, like, body slams him out of the way to (laughs) grab at the microphone. No further cuts to the ABC. Well, there's... There are no cuts. No further cuts. There are no further cuts because there are no cuts. It was an anime body slam. Boo! No cuts. Yeah. Go! No cuts. That's the Liberal Party narrative. The ABC has just as much money as it used to have. And the reason that all the people are being made redundant is because of a magical thing that I'll come up with later. And then he disappears in a smoke grenade. <laughs> it's the greens. It's definitely the greens. It's those bloody greens. One of the things that's part of the cuts that was announced, it's an idea that's come up periodically when cuts to the ABC had been talked about is now they really definitively want to sell Ultimo, which is their Sydney headquarters for the ABC. Uh, It's on a prime piece of land, as you can understand. It's right in the middle of the CBD. Um, It would be a huge windfall in terms of money for the government, but then they want to rent it back to the ABC. Oh, my God. Just insane amount oh, of... that'll save them some money. Of, you know, their resources. It's the whole, like, making money for private corporations is some kind of ultimate virtue. And I've, I've heard the argument before that they had to cut the ABC and SBS because they were competing unfairly with commercial broadcasters. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's an level? excuse they've used in the past. And it's like, fuck the commercial broadcasters. They're not your problem, government. If they can't run a business next to your nationalised industry, the, then yeah. Yeah. fuck them. Really unfairly competing with else. Big Brother Season 10 with Sonia Kruger. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. <laughs> Your job is not to make sure Channel 10 has the money to run Channel 10. But that's the thing, is that they look at that whole thing and it's like, well, you know, the economy and money flowing around is the super mm. important part of it. They they do the same sort of uh, calculation when it comes to hospitals. Mm. Like, well, we can't, we can't possibly have all these public hospitals outperforming these private ones and we can't have the public healthcare system outperforming, like, private insurance – so what are we going to do? It's like, well, you could just inject all the money you would subsidize in the private sector to the public one and make everyone happy and then just get rid of that as a yeah. market sector because it's fucking health and information. It shouldn't be making a profit. And they just go, nah. And by <laughs> definition, a public run thing should, if it's being run well, outperform a private one just simply by virtue of the fact that they're not trying to make a profit. There shouldn't yeah. be a shadowy board of directors skimming money off the top. And if, if you yeah. don't have that, if every bit of money that goes in is, in theory, being used for the public good, then absolutely it should be more efficient. How does this not make obvious sense? The 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 key one for me is the post office, where yeah. if you go to any post office in Australia, they're just like, uh, you, 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 you want to send a mail, do you? How about buy a USB stick? How about a vegetable steamer? How about a <laughs> fucking old, like, kids, you know, like, go fish toy? And you're like, why are you selling any of this? Oh, yeah. you, you, got, you got to make a profit. And you're like, just send some... Send some fucking mail. Yeah. What's the, why? <laughs> but this is similar to how they talk about the budget. Like, it's always, it's line go up, even with this. Mm. Like, everything yeah, has to be, like, in the positive. Even, like, the, the whole principle is that when you talk about a budget being in surplus, that's money that you have that you didn't spend on essential things. Mm. Yeah, yeah it, it's like a company being like, all right, all of our divisions should be making a profit independently of 
like just independently, each division should be making a profit. And then they're just like, hmm, the receptionist isn't making a profit. Like they're not bringing in any money. So we're going to fire them and we're going to outsource it to a company that is making a profit because we know that that's better. It's like, now you're just spending way more on your receptionist, you idiot. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> you know what? And no one's but answering the calls. What they're doing is they're just like, that bit isn't making a profit. So let's turn that into a company that makes its own profit. And that's better. And then that company is like, all right, so we're our receptionist, you know, contractor thing. We have our own receptionist, although they're not making a profit. So we better, like, it, it's just this thing that you can just crank infinitely. Mm. And you're always getting a worse job because now you're outsourcing your reception. Well, and yeah, because you're trying to, like, every, every single layer is trying to make a profit. So you're just introducing costs. Like, the government um, is, is obviously not doing a terribly good job and not running very efficiently and and taking huge salaries off the top. What if we had, like, a a government run, like, in the public interest? Like, we nationalised the government. Um, so wow, that's a bold idea. Yeah, so we we just we just get a government doing what they need to do, paid for with taxpayer money instead of, um, like, corporate money. Um, we didn't have them making huge profits and, and giant pensions, um, and, and we ran it for the public good. I reckon it could be a thing. Yeah, that'd be really nice. I think it comes from a uh, position of, like, this is my understanding of the sort of neoliberal stance on this, is... If the public version is better than the private version, then there's no way for a rich person to spend more money to get a better thing. Mm, yeah. The yeah. end. Yeah. <laughs> no way yeah. for my, my rich mates to make a, make a dollar off it. But it's just insane because there is also, there's always that thing in the back of their mind as well. It's like, well, we could make money off of sick people. We could make money off of house fires. We could make money off of sending parcels, whatever, whatever. Or we'll just wait for our friends in finance to come up with another way to make imaginary money off of stuff. Like we've, yeah. we've figured out how to make money off of debt and then also parceling debt and then cutting it up into little bits of debt. We've made money off of like people's homes. What else can we make money off of? And they just wait for the next thing. And I think- to, to circle back around to where we started at, um, there's not a lot of money to be made off emergency broadcasts that save people's lives. Yeah, we're going to do That's the about grimmest thing I've ever heard. Ads and, <laughs> yeah, just imagine like a Valvoline ad cutting into the emergency broadcast. <laughs> just, <laughs> we'll we'll right. get to the, uh, the towns that are under risk of bushfires right after this word from yeah. our sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> If you're in Victoria, you are probably aware and worried that we've had a spike in coronavirus cases, um, which is which is a bad thing. But in terms of a spike, it's like 30 people, was it? 41 was the last one. Which 41 in the last in the last couple of days, um, which is a big spike compared to we were almost at, at zero compared to America or somewhere where a spike would be in the tens of thousands. Australia is still doing yeah. pretty good. But this is something you've got to keep a lid on because, as we all know, this stuff increases exponentially. And honestly, I really think Victoria is still responding to this very well. There was a little spike. Daniel Andrews said, all right, shut it all back down. Quit fucking about. Um, get this under <laughs> control. You. We still hate him. We still hate him because of the gas stuff, but he's handling coronavirus pretty well. <laughs> well, um, kind of well, because the thing is, he was like, there's a bit of a spike and his his good response of like, all right, everybody shut it down, get off the beers, that sort of thing. He said, and he did say, and that's good, but he said it in English only. And that uh, turns out is a problem. Right. So, the 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 reason it turns out that, that a lot of the... Um, 
social distancing and, and that sort of advice hasn't been heeded by certain sort of sections in the community is because those sections of the community don't speak uh, English as a first language a lot of the time. Mm. Uh, so like the one of the um, outbreaks in uh, Victoria was from an aid celebration uh, that like, yeah, the, the it turns out that the company engaged by the government to manage that crisis communication was only asked to start communicating in languages other than English on Monday. That's, That's insane. insane. Hmm. And how long have <laughs> we had really coronavirus happening? <laughs> I want to say four, five months. Four, five months? Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, shit. Oh, Multilingual no. communication. And that's Poor crazy because, like, I keep on seeing, you keep on seeing, like, things on, like, bus stops and, like, electronic billboards talking about distancing and stuff like that. And they didn't bother to put it in another language. That's mm. yeah. crazy. So yeah. this has been a pretty wild sort of time because as we were talking about last episode, a lot of the sort of uh, conservatives, and I uh, use that as a euphemism for very racist people, <laughs> even though I suppose uh, liberals can also be very racist, um, the, the, but the, there's this big concerted push to describe it as the, as the BLM bump, oh. the Black Lives Matter bump, because all those people went to the protest and Sorry. even though it has been stressed many times by uh, medical professionals and experts in the community that there were no cases attributable to the BLM protests. They're still None. like, oh, it's the bloody BLM bump. And it turns out that the reason that these spikes happened was because actually Australia forgot that brown people existed. Like, the, Literally <laughs> the BLM anyone bump else existed. turned out to be directly attributable to white supremacy. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> oops, also, oops to them. It's also important to stress that these cases Almost all of these new cases were family transmissions, transmissions within yes. extended family groups. A bunch of people getting together at home, maybe going to their cousins, hanging out with an, another family. They're inside, they're with their relatives. They go, well, this is fine. We don't have to worry. We can hug each other and stuff because we're inside our own home with our family. Um, and so much of the, of the, the information and the warnings and advice that's been going out there has been like, don't hang out in public, don't go on public transport, don't go to the pub. But it's been really like a little fuzzy about, oh, you know, now you can have a few more people in your home. Still observe normal precautions. But well, that's the thing. Been like, don't hug your grandma. Don't sit next to people. Don't have a family dinner. Yeah, it was it was it was genuinely bewildering for me when I found out you could have, you know, more people in your house and then weeks later I only realized that they want every other social distancing measure in place. It's like you can't tell people that. Mm. Yeah, I don't know why that was the compromise. You can have Nana over again. You need you absolutely need to say but no hugs. Like, Keep her in another literally room. You need to say <laughs> no hugs. It needs to be on the poster otherwise people will hug. Because yeah. getting together with your family and friends by default people want to hug each other, That's why out, I want to get Jenga, together whatever. with them. Yes, I don't want to sit in another room with them. Like it's not. That's not the point. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's and insane. That's the thing, they're not even fucking saying don't hug in English. That's like <laughs> when I heard that it was like Eid celebrations. That thing I had. Okay, as someone who's like a brown person who grew up in the time of September 11, I got that little sinking feeling in my chest, mm. going, "Oh no!" <laughs> yeah. I, and, and especially right when you are. And, and just when you live in Australia, you just know exactly where that direction is going to take, and it went that way. Yep. Well, so before we hit on that real quickly. I want to like sort of give the prelude to what the conservatives, which are very racist people, are saying now, which was initially when they were trying to do the, the Black Lives Matter bump, they were saying it's going to cause community transmission. 
And then it didn't cause any transmission. And you know it didn't because they were combing over every single report trying to oh, make yeah. sure that they could find a case of it. And if then had they been anything, they would have never let us hear the end of it. Oh, 100%. And then they went, well, there wasn't any community transmission there, but it was a, it was psychically outrageous and people lost their mind at the thought of people protesting and them staying home. So they mm. went, fuck it. If all of these people are going to protest, then why am I going to uh, social distance? And so instead mm. of saying you're irresponsible for thinking like a big baby, conservatives went, those protesters were really mean and they caused everyone to act like pissed pants big babies. And then that didn't work. And so as Evie said, yeah, there's now this furor over the fact that it was um, immigrant uh, families and like and sometimes to the point of like second generation immigrant families, which at this point, like I don't know how many generations you need to keep track of if you're an immigrant family, but like Australian families that don't subscribe to white hegemonic cultural ideals. That's and all. It sometimes is. you think like you're used to hearing like the kind of shit people feel comfortable saying in these situations, but I got to say, hearing Peter Credlin saying, uh, "Okay, this is a direct quote from her." When are we going to wake up to the fact that encouraging people to live here as South Sudanese-speaking Dinka rather than an Australian-speaking English is not good for our country? Fuck she said off. that. She said That's that. Insane. Like, how, how do you, like, Fuck just the sinking feeling just going, oh, she doesn't want, you know, anyone here who she doesn't can immediately say, oh, they're Australian because they've completely assimilated themselves. Just horrible. Yeah, and, and, and Andrew Bolt had a, a column in there as well where he was just like just broadly blaming just any kind of multiculturalism at all. Like the headline was diversity and death. Fragmented and multicultural Victoria is now threatening us all with a second wave. Like It's blatant now. Yeah, convicted racist Andrew Bolt having his say on this. It's just galling. <laughs> I hope the two of them fucking choke. It is like it is just the most disgusting outright racism because sure as shit, like it doesn't matter if they don't speak English because all they can glob onto at the moment is they Daniel Andrews didn't have enough signs in different languages, but how is he supposed to know all the different languages and it's not feasible, they should learn English. But if they do, they do know English, and that wasn't the problem. They'd still be saying, "Oh well, this cultural celebration is the issue." They'll find something about like this type of dance or this type of food because they're fucking racist. Like yeah, it doesn't also, matter we, what it is. We we know how to communicate multilingually. Like that's not usually a a, a big problem. Like I mean, there are certainly language barriers, but you look at like. You know, so much government signage and communication stuff has like a little paragraph in Vietnamese about where to get the info in Vietnamese and a little paragraph in, you know, like just all the different. There there are multilingual communications already happening from the government. It's not like this is a new thing that they don't know how to do that. They're just like, oh, um, they, they the fucking forgot. the Liberal Party, the Liberal Party put out fucking fake looking posters <laughs> in Chinese tricking oh, people yeah. into how to vote. <laughs> Like they, it's I mean, the government know exactly what they're fucking doing. They're not going to go, oh, you know, it's the it's the immigrants' problem there. It's like no, those votes are fine. That's, Jesus of, shit. But of course, these these uh, commentators aren't making sincere points because these are the same people who said he was dictator Dan for not letting people go to the footy or you know for clamping back down and things. And this is the same government, uh, like the Australian government Twitter. Saying things like, oh, it's time to get back out there and support local businesses and restart your economy and things like that. So now when there is a spike in cases, they find a way to blame it on uh, labor and on multiculturalism. 
it's it's pretty blatant. Oh, now's the time to go and visit your mum for a lovely casserole. Right? And then there's a spike. And they're like, oh, you didn't say hug, though. I just said casserole. Oh, it's a bloody Sudanese. Oh. <laughs> yeah, don't if you don't visit your Sudanese family. Oh, that, that's oh. not what we meant. Like, what what are you talking about? The idea I is like, we've got to come out from under the blanket. And, oh, that's, and, right. and that's the thing. And, and Scott Morrison was talking about, look, there's going to be spikes. There will be risks. There will be challenges. There will be outbreaks. There will be more cases. There will be setbacks. Not everything will go to plan. There will be inconsistencies. States will and must move at their own pace and will cut and paste out of this plan to suit their local circumstances. There will undoubtedly be some human error. No one is perfect. Everyone is doing their best. And then there's an outbreak. They're like, what the fuck? Whoa! Oh, it's brown people. Brown people did it. Lockdown Victoria. I think when you when you when you point the blame at Andrew Bolt and Peter Credlin as like these horrible pieces of shit putting like genuinely like horribly racist stuff in their television segments and newspapers that's very reminiscent of like, you know, uh, 40s Germany, we've got to do something about the vermin like stuff. They they're also working with editors and mm. publishers and that sort of thing. Like, this rot mm. is endemic to News Corp. Let's not, like, fuck around. Everyone like, it's involved not just in that Andrew Bolt and Peter Credlin. Is it is anyone involved in putting that in front of other people is fully responsible for that kind of language. And I, I, I just don't want to say, like, oh, Andrew Bolt, he's a piece of shit. Peter Credlin, she's awful. Like, there is a city worth of people around a town worth of there's a town worth of people who are just as involved yeah um and i just one last thing on this i still reckon the covid safe app probably is responsible for some small part of this i can't back this up with anything (laughs) except anecdotes but when you have advertisements like if you if you're gonna see mum on Mother's Day, get the COVID Safe app so you're all safe. And you hear about people being like, "It's okay, I hug, I was hugging people, but I've got the app." Yeah, the or app you can't come into never, my pub. The app has never helped track a single case. I th- is that true? I believe that's that, that is it, true. It, that's 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 a report not- coming out this week. Is that it is responsible for detecting zero cases of coronavirus right. in Australia? It has never given six million any- downloads. Zero results. Yeah. I, I, I absolutely called that when I said, look, I don't think this is going to be like a big blow up controversy thing. I think it's just not going to do anything. And even I am actually surprised that hmm. the number's actually zero cases. I thought it was going to be like four, but they didn't even make it that far. So good on the government for fucking that up. Most of the places I've seen, like in uh, my local area, where like if you want to go to a bar or a restaurant or anything like that, um, most of the places have don't even include that as part of their registration process it's all just their localized sort of booking system yeah so well, which in fact, is good. they're not that. allowed to yeah i mean it should it should be pointed out that the um the covid safe information has been downloaded a handful of times and every time it's been accessed they went oh yeah we already knew that oh mm. that's cool yep so it's it's, um, fuck, it's useless but the Useless. but the really bad thing is that the government has said this is a thing that keeps you safe. People go, oh, this is going to keep me safe, and now they feel safe, and now they're yeah. going to do dumber stuff. If the government had just sent everybody the most basic ask mask you could buy, that would have been monumentally more effective than this app will ever be. 
Yeah, but then we can't just funnel like $400,000 to a consultancy uh, for, for, for mask prototypes. We- <laughs> That's true. We already you know what a mask that. is. <laughs> yeah, we can't invent a middleman for some reason. Mask giver. <laughs> Actions this week. Uh, this is a whole new topic that we haven't really hit on at all uh, this this episode, but um, there's a, a thing that was brought to my attention uh, this week that is just absolutely fucking crazy slash completely unsurprising, uh, which is, did you know that in Australia, the age of criminal responsibility is very low and you can go to prison at uh, as young as 10, 10 years old? Insane. I did not. I didn't. I didn't know that, and I didn't. I knew we had juvie at some. (laughs) I thought. I thought that there was. Yeah, like special considerations in some cases for some juveniles. I didn't realize that it was just the criminal responsibility is ten. What are you talking about? Yeah, I I think that there's some restrictions on there, but you can absolutely go to prison at the age of ten. A ten-year-old child can be sent to prison if they're naughty enough. Then. What's a it's, ten-year-old going to do? You. Right now, here's the next fact that's really going to guess. I, yeah, I, I bloody you know, it's it's pretty horrifying that a ten-year-old kid can go to prison, but like, uh, of course, it's going to be evenly sort of distributed uh, across sort of like racial uh, metrics, right? Fuck it's not going to be overwhelmingly <laughs> black people, is it? Uh, it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Seventy percent over seventy percent of the children in prison are. Black. Who'd who'd have thought? So, it's the grimmest fucking shit in the world. And really, anyone who sent a child to prison or is a prison guard and didn't notice that there was a child in the prison and break them out immediately is probably a monster, right? I can actually actually say I'm doing my thesis on the autonomy of children at the moment. And yes, actually, factually, the absolute monsters. They should be sent to prison themselves. They should take the place of children in prison. And the children actually get their lives and jobs after that, like big Uh clothes with the the, the sleeves hanging off them and stuff. I'm for prison abolition, except for people who are responsible (laughs) for imprisoning children, in which case they should go to forever jail. I don't think they should go to prison. I think that they should just themselves be abolished. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, there's no public call to uh, rend those monsters down into fat and make them into soap. But- <laughs> oh, this again. We're going to get so many messages about talking about turning people into food. <laughs> that's, soap is not a food, Evie. You're not allowed to eat it. It tastes horrible. <laughs> no, but the, the, there is a petition uh, that is a, it's the raise the age hashtag movement uh, thing that is it's making this, the demand is so simple. It's how about... We only put 14-year-old children in prison as well. Like, it's this... When you phrase it like that, you're just like, how are we even having this conversation? But yeah, the the, yeah. the campaign is to say, look, at least fucking a little bit older than 10 years old. That's crazy. And so, it's it's 14. So, the, the Raise the Age campaign is like, can we make this horrifying thing maybe a little bit less horrifying? Uh, and so, the action this week is to just, like, get your name on that petition and write to your MP about it. This... I, I, yeah, it's it's gobsmacking. Uh, I, I, I say things in a jokey tone, and that is because it is the only way to look directly at something that horrifying for Absolutely. me. Absolutely, is, is to say it in a silly voice, but a hundred percent mean it. Holy shit! I can't believe that we've got children as young as ten in prison. Of course, we had children even younger than that in uh, fucking refugee detention because the government is evil. Uh, but you know, sometimes people are like, "Evil's a strong word." It is a strong word. Yeah. 
I don't have a stronger word for it. And yeah. it applies here. It's like <laughs> the strongest it goes, I've got. It goes back to the thing I was saying earlier this episode about like people fundamentally not respecting children. Like they'll respect yeah. they'll they won't respect them enough to listen to what they have to say when they mean it in a like you know in a fashion that they're worried about their futures but they do care enough to say you've done this thing that you should go to jail for but even though you're 10 years old or even you're a baby and your parents came from another country that we didn't want them to come from you're in jail forever basically yeah yeah anyway sign the petition um sign the petition (laughs) And look, if you are friends with a, a child prison guard, um, look, at the very least, stop being friends with them. Hmm. And at the most, look, it's up to you. Do whatever you want. But <laughs> I, like, I don't even know how to make soap. But <laughs> I reckon just, you can figure out the steps. Make them feel a bit bad about it and then stop being friends with them. Yeah. I mean, like, invite them around for dinner and, like, don't turn them into soap. I can't, like, call for... I mean, you can if you can do it, like, sort of legally and non-violently somehow, like, you know, there's <laughs> loopholes in everything. We know that from this current government. But at least put food on them and send them away in disgrace. <laughs> These people are beneath contempt. <laughs> that's, that's, but that's also, all hang, on, hang on, don't have them around to your house. You shouldn't be having anyone around to your house. It's coronavirus, yeah. guys. That's my over other... Over Zoom. Make them feel bad over Zoom. That's my, that's my other... Action this week, another action this week, wear a mask if you can. Yeah, wear a mask. Demonstrably lowers the rates of transmission pretty well. We saw it as anecdotal evidence from the Black Lives Matter bump that didn't eventuate. But if you can, Mm -hmm. wear a mask. One, because you will uh, reduce the chance of you getting it. Two, because if you have it and you don't know, you'll reduce the chance of giving it to someone else. And three, you'll make a whole bunch of other people uncomfortable. They will avoid you. There's been studies done on it. And it reminds everyone else that we're still in the middle of a pandemic. And that's a good thing. And facial recognition is harder to do. (laughs) (laughs) If you're a a prison guard working in a children's prison, uh, let us know what you thought of the episode. Uh, (laughs) Tell us your stories. If you're not, same diff. Um, Yeah, I don't actually know how to do the shout outs. (laughs) Uh, yeah, if you're a prison guard, uh, get in touch with us at uh, NotGoodPod on all the socials or NotGoodPod at ProtonMail.com. Um, and uh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that shout out's for prison guards only. Uh, everybody else, love you. Thanks for listening. Not Good Enough was recorded on the lands of the Kulin Nation. Uh, we pay our respects to their oldest past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded.